Hello, Anytrenders, and welcome back to the Anime Trending Podcast. I hope everyone's doing well. Uh, we have a lovely group of uh, Anime Trender staff. There we go, Anime Trender staff here today talking about Great Pretender, one of our favorite shows this season that just came out on Netflix. But before we talk into that, uh, I am Noobles, I am one of your hosts. And we have, oh shoot, I'm looking at our icons and I just realized I don't know who's who. This is the worst. <laughs> so you can't see this for those who are listening on Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening. Everyone's changed their icon to the character from Decadence. I don't remember his name. So Hi. I don't know how to introduce who's who. Thank you. Hi, Medi, you've spoken. Welcome. Go. <laughs> oh, hello. Yes. Uh, Medi. Medi, though. I am Pipe. We're all Pipe. Uh, Decadence is really good, but that's not what we're here for this week, so... No, not this week. Uh, Gracie. Yes, I am, uh, this is Gracie, who is also Pipe, who is one of the ones torturing Quok with this. And we have our third Pipe member, who's... It is Agnes, the third Pipe member, and also editor for Anime Trending. And we have our Mr. Raccoon. I'm Nico, I'm here to spoil the Pipe fun. I'm... Rocket Raccoon this week. <laughs> also getting yes, tortured like Noobles. <laughs> I, I know, I'm so confused. But that's okay. We have each other. They're though, con yeah. artists. It's relevant. Yeah, we they're don't know con- who to trust. They're confusing <laughs> It's all relevant because today we are talking about Great Pretender. If you have not watched it, uh, do fair warning, we are going to dive into the first case, Los Angeles, the first five episodes. So if you haven't watched it, be warned, uh, we will be going into some spoilers, but we really highly recommend checking it out and then coming back to the podcast because we're going to talk a lot about cool things that happened in the episode, but also in the episodes. But also, we actually got the chance to interview with Studio and the staff behind Great Pretender at Anime Expo 2019 last year. Uh, the anime episode one world premiered uh, at anim- uh, world premiered at the convention. We interviewed a director, uh, the screenwriter, uh, the president of which studio was there, George Wada, and a character designer was also there as well. So we'll be diving into some of the stuff that we covered there. So do look forward to that. But synopsis wise, great pretender. We got Makoto Enamaru-san, who is a con artist or con man. I uh, said to be one, Japan's greatest swindler, but then also that one day he's trying to pitpocket a foreigner and realizes that uh, he lost all his money instead. So when Ed, uh, Edamura-san chases down this man in Los Angeles, he finds out that the foreigner name is uh, Laurent uh, Thierry, Thierry, how to pronounce his last name. He's a French con artist uh, who has ties with international crime organizations. So as Edamura follows him, uh, trying to thwart this drug deal, he kind of gets caught up in this, you know, upside down. He's ta- he's tied up upside down on the famous Hollywood sign, which I think was the image that we got for the show. I think that came out last year, right, Gracie? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that was well, the quite image. Literally that, that's the all frame we had. Yeah. Opens on. Mm-hmm. It's the opening. Oh yeah, scene. it does. Yeah, it just opens with that frame. Mm-hmm. It's the opening scene. So really cool. Uh, I really enjoyed Great Pretender. Again, we're we're gonna touch the first five episodes. Um, first thing I think that caught everyone's eyes, especially last year, was the animation style. Uh, I think for the most of us who are in California, when we saw that, we're like, "Is this what people think California looks like?" Uh, anyone can attest to that. Um, but for me, I I like it a lot. Uh, when I when it first came out on Netflix September first, I posted 
the screenshots of the in the out sign the airplanes the la skyscraper and whatnot and yeah this is a different animation art style compared to other wit studio anime if i recall i think it's I don't think quite Witt different anything, from the majority right? of anime right now in regards to art style because it's so colorful and it's mm-hmm. it's almost like there's brush strokes for the for like the backgrounds and the sceneries, um, so I like I think it's way past even Wit Studio. I'm I'm speaking like currently like airy anime as a whole. It's really really different. Wit Studio has always been at the forefront of animation in general, starting with series like Attack on Titan and. Uh, the ancient magus bride so i'm not actually surprised that they were able to pull off something so colorful and so beautiful and so fluid in great pretender and vinland saga yeah and vinland saga too i just love how stylized it is you know you named Mm -hmm. some uh you know anime namely attack on titan magus brides i don't know those were the things that because wit studio back then was new it was not right. an older, it's not something like A1 Pictures or Madhouse that's been around for a while. It was brand new. And, you know, when Attack on Time came out, everyone was like, wow, you know, the action scenes are so fluid and everything. And then you have Ancient Magus Bride where the action is not at the forefront, but the colors and the softness just really comes together. And then now you have Great Pretender where you have those same vibrant colors from Ancient Magus Bride, but it has a sharp quality to it. Maybe a little bit like Attack on Titan? I don't know. Sharp is a good word to use for kind of like... It's crisp. ...line it's, work, you know? Everything's so... Yeah, utterly crisp. crisp. Yeah. But yeah, I just think... Uh, you're right, Attack on Titan and Magus Bride have very different aesthetics, but in both cases, I feel like they can be rather traditional senses of, you know, pretty and realistic almost. This is so exaggerated and stylized that it's, you know... It, it works great as a a wacky comedy, so to speak. In what ways do you think so, it is exaggerated, though? Because it's um, like because it comes off like like a California sunset is like kind of like the one word I would describe just watching that style all the way through. Which is kind of why Nubles made that point at the beginning, saying, "Oh, is this what everyone thinks California looks like?" Well, it, it doesn't look much like California today with a. Whatever. I don't know what a sunset is I was anymore. Gonna say, <laughs> there, there's, oh. there's a lack of smog. There's a lack of smog covering the mountain. Seven out of ten. Not realistic. <laughs> so, uh, fun fact is, I when we uh, so Quack and I were actually in the same panel when it premiered at Anime Expo, and I when we were mm. able to interview them, I actually asked them about their art style and specifically like their thought process and um you know like where they even originate and apparently they got inspired from this artist named brian cox and showed like like brian cox's work to this to this other artist in japan who does storyboard and um essentially he started drawing storyboards in um that art style that sort of is inspired by Brian Cox. And then um, once they looked at the storyboard, they really, really liked it and decided to continue with it. And what's really, really crazy is Kaburagi-san during the interview even said that like 
the first episode we saw, the art style was still getting ironed out. Like they still haven't really finished it yet, and that they think the continued episodes are only just going to get better from there on out. So it's really crazy because I already thought the first episode was amazing in regards to their unique art style, and then they were saying like it's going to get better. So. <laughs> For reference to everyone, uh, Kaburagi-san, uh, Hiro Kaburagi-san, he is the director for Great Pretender, um, as a reference. And for Brian Cox, I tried to look him up. I uh, don't know who it is. He, I don't believe it's the Hollywood actor or Scottish actor mm, you're referring think so. to. Uh, because I don't recall him doing artwork, but I do, I'm do. i very curious to see more about that, too. But, Kaburagi-san yeah, did we, say, like, specifically, I, like, that, like, Brian Cox is not a super well-known artist, so they found mm-hmm. his work somewhere, essentially. There's our first homework assignment for the listeners this week. Go look up <laughs> Brian Cox and find his artwork. I mean, I just tried Googling. I cannot yeah. find a single thing, so I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. <laughs> no worries. And also, fun fact too, um, the company, uh, also in the interview, he refer- he, they, they're talking with an art direction company called Bamboo, and t- I believe the individual, uh, Yusuke Takeda-san, he also worked on the art for Vinland Saga as well too. So you got to hand it to that team for the background art because we saw with Vinland Saga last year, it was beautiful, and now we got great pretender with the same team um and i it's 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 amazing it's absolutely amazing speaking of the art style um it still maintains that anime style if that made sense like i i when i was watching i couldn't quite describe it and you guys did a very good job how it was very sharp and very artistic but then also they did a very good job still making you feel like anime if that made sense. I, I don't know how to describe it. You have to kind of watch it to, to make it. I guess, like, um, they still have, like, typical anime characteristics of, like, big eyes and that each character is very distinct on their own. They each have their mm-hmm. own color palette and their own personalities that really make them stand out in the show from each other. So there's, like, this sense of realism from, like, the setting-wise, but the characters are still very rooted in anime. I guess it's, like... It's a different from, let's say, more realistic shows like Psychopath, Psychopath, sorry, Psychopaths, where all the characters very much have looked the same. Yes. Or they have right. like black hair, brown eyes, and there's very little deviation from there. I think maybe to add on to that, I'm like the one example I think that jumps out to me is Michiko and Hachun, which takes place mm, primarily yeah. in Latin America. And so, I mean, the setting of, of, the show takes place mostly in California um, for that initial um, setup, and I think that really sh- shows um, that mix of characters um, and just how they look, just reflected in that art style too. Oh yeah, it's fascinating what seeing you guys... how they, like, well, just how they present the different different types of people. I mean, not even just strictly from a like an ethnicity perspective, but largely from that. I mean, you've got your blonde, suave French dude, but then the police chief was so stunning to me how, like, he doesn't have anything really quote-unquote anime about him, but it's like he's big, he's blonde, he's like, it's such a stereotypical American, and yet like, as far as, you know... It's a typical LAPD chief. American stereotype I've seen so many anime where it's like, big, tall, blonde dudes talk like this, but also it's pretty realistic. In its own way. 
So I wanted to ask you, Californians, like, what did you think of that opening shot of him, like, just opening his eyes, and you see downtown LA like upside down, and then the camera just switches back around, and then you see the Hollywood sign as he's just hanging there, like, um, because I'm not a Cal, I'm not, I don't live in California. Um, I've only gone to California to visit and stuff, so I know like. The Hollywood sign is probably like a lot more, or probably something that you guys are a lot more associated with or used to. And I just wanted to hear, like, was it exciting for you guys to see that opening scene and be like, oh, it's taking place like in my state? You know, like I'm just curious. Well, I've spent、uh, just about all my days more around the San Francisco area, but <laughs> should know a thing or two. I feel that because California is so large, it's really difficult to ask a Californian like, do you identify、yeah. with the Hollywood <laughs> Hollywood symbol? It's like, uh, I don't know. Um, but the one thing that really stands out is that it's not using a typical prop for a setting that takes place in California. Usually, like when you think of California, you think like Miami beaches, really nice beaches, or eventually they show later the、um, the Hollywood stars.、Mm-hmm. But when you see it in other forms of media, you just see like the flash of the Hollywood sign to just show、yes. that you're、mm-hmm. quote unquote. In California, but the show takes it a step further by flashing like the signs for LAX, the signs for In and Out. Like it becomes a lot more relatable. But at the same time, those specific signs are very Southern Californian too.、Um, it's not completely relatable for somebody who might say live in NorCal, somebody who lives in Central California, where the Hollywood sign or the LAX sign is not something they completely associate themselves with. And even then, if you're in Southern California, I think you've got better places to go than Hollywood Boulevard. But <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, fr- I'm from that area. I don't want to go to Hollywood Boulevard. I'd rather、yeah. go to like the the Chinese districts where they have all the great food. I don't、mm. care too much about well, Hollywood、so、Boulevard. So I went to Hollywood Boulevard with、uh, one of my best friends in the world, and I was really excited and stuff. And she's like, "Well, prepare to be disappointed." <laughs> <laughs> one thing I do、It's- like. I like how, like, I don't know how how often people remember that like the Hollywood sign is built on just a sheer cliff. So like sometimes people visit it and they don't realize like, oh, it looks kind of awful when you're like right up and close and personal. So like the fact that they used it as like the prop of how、um, Edamura is just like hanging there and it's like it's actually really terrifying of a shot. Like I thought that was a really interesting use. And going back to what Agnes and what you just said, Nick too. You gotta give props to Wood Studio and the team, the creative team, for taking what normally happens in most most media, albeit in a lot of movies. They just flash a Hollywood sign. That's it. No, they took this iconic thing and built it into the story and that suspense, so that you're engrossed to the story even more. And there's a purpose for for the sign. It isn't just oh you're in Hollywood.、Yeah. That's it. it. It had a purpose, which I think. Really made it shine even more. It's such a strong opening scene, and I absolutely adore the title card for the case that they use with it.、Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah! I can't think of the word to describe it, but it gives it such a fun, like adventure gotta... flick kind of feel to it, where it goes like, you know, Los Angeles case. I already forgot the name, the actual title of the case. The Hollywood case. Oh, think, the、right? Los Angeles connection. That's what. Oh, you're right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Where、oh, yeah. it just shows his silhouette like hanging from the sign, while also moving by like in motion with papers falling down. It, that's a really good point. It almost feels like a postcard moment. Um. That, yeah. Yeah. Either that or like the text kind of looks like the same font used for like the Trader Joe's sign for the brand. Oh 
You know, anybody. I thought the same thing. I thought Trader Joe's. <laughs> it's very tropical. <laughs> it looks like Trader Joe's. Uh, for people, I, I want to ask them too because. Yeah, oh yeah, sorry. for people who uh, don't know what Trader Joe's yeah. is, it's a, I think it's a semi-international brand. Oh, I think uh, it's, it's US private, only. Oh, it's US, oh, now it's, it's US only. My bad, that's right. It's a US yes. private grocery store chain that's really famous for a lot of imported goods. And they have a very tropical sign and font for their logo. There is a store in Canada right across the border that... Uh, imports and resells Trader Joe's exclusive goods. And they, <laughs> they won a lawsuit that Trader Joe's placed on them. Look at that. Really? What a heist. Oh, that's wild. That's incredible. They're called Pirate Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> that is freaking hilarious. Oh my God. But uh, yes, uh, to just uh, clarify with Agatha, Trader Joe's is like a American grocery chain uh, store out here in the United States. And, and, and any Trader Joe's you go to, it has this uh, tropical Hawaiian style and a lot of it is thanks to the owner without diving into too much but if you ever visit one the style is you, you know you're in a Trader Joe essentially and I think it captures what's in this anime where you see it you know what you're going to expect for this show too and part of me wonders I think they may have visited a Trader Joe as well which is why we got scenes of in and out and, and all yeah, that too. I wouldn't be surprised yeah, they had Trader the knowledge to include In and Out as this iconic California thing. It was just a fast food chain. Is, isn't that because everyone <laughs> just shouts at them every time they come to California and they're like, "What's the best place to go and ever, to eat?" And they're like, "Everyone's just like In and Out, In and Out." Every convention, so they're like, "Okay, fine, yeah. fine, we're gonna go." <laughs> that's a growing trend. Where just that's true. All of these Japanese seiyu and staff like know about in and out like every california con they have to have this debate i think (laughs) (laughs) it always is a debate now moving on now that we've kind of gotten the animation style and the premise let's dive into the characters because we touched on it briefly too i i love it I, i love the different characters that we have so we got makoto edamura and we will call him edamame probably most of us throughout this podcast then we have, you got Laurent, who's voiced by the beautiful Junichi Suwabe with his silky voice. And then you got Abby, uh, who I think is, I like as a character too, because she isn't just your typical acting cute, she has personality. And then you have uh, Pola, the FBI, or also known as Cynthia, which you find out later down the line. And we got some side characters as well too. Uh, any comments on these characters? Dive in. Go for it. Free for all. Um, well, I'm calling the French guy the blonde sexy man. So, in case anyone wonders who the blonde sexy man is, it's it's the it's the one named Laurent. I I don't I I'm not good with French pronunciation, so that's why I'm calling him the blonde sexy man. <laughs> we'll allow it. Uh, his name uh, Laurent is fantastic. No, I mean, Blood I love... sexy man. <laughs> Everyone in this core cast is so charming. And like, I mean, it makes sense. It's in universe as well. They are charming. They are con artists and they all put up a really good front. Uh, especially mm-hmm. Abby is literally has, you know, her like her outward personality around the mafia um goodness. 
I can't I, remember the mob boss's uh, name. Not that I real. Oh, oh Cassano. Yep. Cassano family. Now I remember. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, she, she, she's like, see, like, ooh, I don't know what's going on. But then she's like, talk to me again and I'll kill you behind closed doors, which is always a fun dynamic. She really reminded me of, like, Revy from, like, Black Lagoon. Where she it's does. Like, <laughs> like, a lot of these characters, I think, in the whole cast, I mean, they come off as kind of, like, they describe them as, like, lone wolves, you know, where you don't know what they're going to do to each other if they have the chance. No, for sure, yeah. And it's what's a little bit uncanny that's also, like, Black Lagoon is that both the two main male leads in Great Pretender and Black Lagoon are given nicknames for themselves because the cast themselves cannot actually pronounce their name. (laughs) So Makoto Edamura is now nicknamed as Edamame because everybody else in the international world knows what an Edamame is, but they can't for their life pronounce Edamura. (laughs) Same thing goes for Roku in Black Lagoon. At the time, none of the characters on the sub could pronounce Roku's name, so they called him Rock instead. That's huh. Wait, is this actually? It's true. Uh, it's actually in the first episode. Huh. All the characters are literally yelling at him in Black Lagoon, like we can't pronounce. Oh, sorry, we can't pronounce <laughs> your name. We're gonna call you Rock. <laughs> and he's like, okay, that's yeah, fine. I haven't seen Black Lagoon, so I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's what I thought was really interesting is that they did not care to actually pronounce their names right, so they just shafted them off with a nickname instead to make it easy. I'd like to take this opportunity to point out that this podcast opened with Noodles calling Edamura Edamaru, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> oh my god dang it. <laughs> and, you know, Gracie was just up front and said, I'm not going to pronounce Lohan's name right, so I'm just going to say Sexy Blonde Dude. And fortunately, there's only one of those. That's true. There's only one of them. The sexy blonde dude, or wait, unfortunately, yeah, because or if fortunately, you... uh, there's only one guess, sexy blonde dude. Because if you just said the hot one, oh, I wouldn't know which character you're talking about. Oh, I see, Fair. I see. No, 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 I'm not that. Okay, so I am an expert at not remembering names, and so I spent my entire life basically nicknaming people and like based on attributes and stuff, including anime characters, where basically I am Bokto from Haikyuu who does that all the time. And so, um, so yes, I will always have a perfect physical description of an anime character nickname but I will not remember their name because I'm just terrible with names. So I do remember Abby, though, because Abby is an easy name to remember. So. <laughs> Speaking of Abby, too, she's... I don't know why, but I just... the Her character, I, I enjoy a lot. If, I don't know how to describe it, but the way she... She's... All, all four of them, in a way, have different ways of being charming, right? You got Edamame being the cunning and smart and also pleasant guy when he tried to deceive uh, deceive the Japanese uh, grandma. He's also and a butt got... monkey, you have to be honest. Like, he gets the short <laughs> That's end That's true, he stick. is a bit of a butt monkey. <laughs> That's my f- he, he does get a short end yeah. yeah. My favorite thing about Edamame is that even though he he is a really good swindler like at the end of the day and a good con artist he's also just like honest to a fault and they keep abusing that about him (laughs) but it's weirdly his skill because nothing is more convincing than just 
you know, honesty. And so when they're like, oh, wow, he pretended to love the Razzie films to get on Kasano's good side. Then it's like, oh, wait, he actually I think that's hilarious too. <laughs> I I have to, but he knows how to con artists. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I have to ahead. say his descent into con artistry actually broke my heart. Like that episode in regards to his yeah. father and, um, uh, wait, are we? We can dive into spoilers, right? Yeah, go for yeah. it. Go yeah. for okay, it. Okay, so yep. basically, when we find out that his father, who seems like this really, um you know, good lawyer seems like who's Phoenix fighting Wright. for good people turns out to actually be heavily involved in sex trafficking or, like, child trafficking, of all things. And, like, that is such a terrible crime. And um, and then it's, it's just, it's confusing because clearly he was an attentive and, like, loving dad. And that's, that's always hard on kids like knowing one side of a parent who's clearly very supportive and loving and like a good father but then having to deal with the fact that he's a terrible person like that that's really rough and then having that essentially stain his future even though it's not at all his fault that his dad did those things um, which is a problem all around the world, from my understanding, is that if you have a parent who committed a crime, even though you genuinely have nothing to do with it, it's almost like you're pulled down with them, even though you shouldn't be. So um, so the fact that he resorted to con artistry because he literally felt cornered and like no other way out is really, really sad. It absolutely is a problem that exists across the world. And I think that's exemplified so well by him meeting Salazar and mm-hmm. just seeing this opposite end of the perspective. He sees this guy who really cares for his son and barely gets to see him, this and that, but he's kind of supporting him through this really questionable lifestyle. And he gets so invested in that, which was a great way for us to learn about Edamami's past. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's also so great that it's like, you know, this dude from Japan and this, you know, big, much older, huge bodyguard from L.A. who grew up, you know, rather uh, in a disadvantaged community, so to speak. Mm-hmm, but, you know, right. anyone can connect over this simple, like, uh, you know, this fatherly bond kind of issue. Father-son. There we go. I guess with Salazar, out of curiosity, because he is enabling a lot of illegal behavior um clearly there is a parallel between him and uh, edamame's father but i still feel like edamame's edamame's father feels worse oh absolutely it's not a direct comparison yeah i think it's that's exactly why you know he he got edamame that has got so invested in kind of stepping in and saying hey salazar like you can save yourself you know it's and then, you know, Salazar really was a good guy in the end who uh, saved Edamami as well. And it wasn't even, I think that was just from him realizing that, like, oh, this guy really cares about my son and me seeing him. Like, he's just a good person at heart. Like... And speaking of not just, the, uh, going back to what Gracie said, too, it definitely was rough to see why edamame was pushed into that corner too and 
I'm going to blend in between the story too as well. And please dive into the story, everyone, uh, as we talk about the different characters throughout this podcast. One thing I really credit with the way they presented the story. So we know uh, Edamame tries to get a job in the second episode. The mom was in a hospital and that's it. But then later on, we find out why, you know, why he's so traumatized when he find out he, he's, he's in this fraud company and why his mom is in the hospital because she collapsed from the thing. And it really builds to make you like these characters even more. And that makes sense. They make it realistic and not just realistic, but the way it's presented as well, too. Um, it's it's hard to find a character any- like to not... To, to dislike. I mean, I think all of the characters I think are likable, mm-hmm. even like the clear antagonists. Like, I, I really like Kasano, for example. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah, dude. When he was so genuine, being like, no, man, my movies that I put up as a front, <laughs> these are actual art you don't understand. It's like that, like, he's like, I'm yeah. a misunderstood genius. <laughs> I, I do think he, he is a charismatic and entertaining villain. Like, he's fun to watch, even though I see him and I'm like, wow. If I knew this guy in real life, I would hate his guts. It's like yeah. <laughs> but then the thing is, is that we also keep in mind that he is a mafia boss. Yeah. There is a reason why they're charismatic and that they handle business at the way they do. But adding that really funny twist that he's a misunderstood genius just makes him a little bit more colorful than a very typical gangster mob boss. One of my favorite moments yeah, I mean, with Sano is is not his like big like preachy moments about movies and stuff it's that like car chase scene um like like supposedly the chief was following him but then like it turns out they're working together but then like after he he threw him off he calls him and was uh, casado calls him was like yo you're dead yet And then the police literally was like, dude, I almost died this time. <laughs> Why does it feel like it's almost like a stunt this that entire time? Like like something from his movies where it's like all their characters go into like a really death-threatening scenario. And then he just calls them very casually. He's like, yo, you okay, dude? <laughs> I need you for the next casting later. But, you know, just wanted to check in. <laughs> and funny enough, it's Laurent's gang that actually is, you know, performing like a movie for so long and they nearly get killed multiple times as well especially near the end but at the end they're like hey we pulled it off good show good work team here's the money <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean that's kind of like how it is in hollywood you got to do some dangerous stunts and then when it's done you're like great shows it's a wrap add, <laughs> add some uh bay some uh, michael bay explosions in the background like the factory blowing up I mean, I think so that... to be fair, though, a sexy blonde guy, the reason why his acting, quote-unquote, is so good is that he's not really, really acting because his personality is naturally very, like, um, vague and charming and, like, have, like, this smooth sort of, like, uh, smooth sort of style in regards to even how he dresses and how he talks. And so, yeah. like, it's, it's, so, and it's easier, it's like you guys said earlier, where, like, honesty is actually a good tool to fool someone. Like, if you really think about it, when you see the sexy blonde guy outside of his con jobs and then inside his con jobs, there's not really oh, the too same. big of a difference, so. He, he makes a crack with Cassano being like, I'm the only one here who'd be crazy enough to try and overreach and betray you, haha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at him. <laughs> 
looking back at that, you're like, holy shit, that's so brazen to well, do. That's not you want to do it. It's, it's I just remember that watching that scene and be like, you yeah. liar, you little liar. <laughs> so. I do think, though, I mean, they are all rather talented actors, but above all, they are really good at improv because that's what their yes. job requires, especially because Laurent's plans are really sloppy and full of holes. And Edamame is not even in the know. He is like... He's an element of chaos that they have to hope goes along with everything. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the element of chaos, I couldn't believe that they made Edamame as this chemist, this <laughs> this compounder who's trying to put together drugs. And I'm like, how many, how many, how much training did you have, and how many laws did you break for this? Well, he got a great like video tutorial and. Then Cynthia, posing as an FBI agent, told him to verbatim cook like Walter White. Oh, yes! That was great! I laughed so hard. I was like, just, just cook like Walter White. All good, you know? Breaking bad. No, no problem. Also, um, the Cynthia twist was probably my favorite twist of the whole arc because I genuinely thought that. I was like, oh, sh- like now there is like an FBI agent here and they're actually being serious and stuff like that and so um also and I also did that based on like the police's reaction the corrupt police and how it seems mm-hmm. like they really believe that these are the FBI people so I was like oh shoot like I guess they really are and which we got that glorious scene of everyone sticking their middle finger out at her oh, when her back was, was turned <laughs> <laughs> that was great that um, is great but that was for me that was the biggest twist where I was like whoa 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 hey no <laughs> which tells you like how ridiculously plotted everything is which is funny because that's just you know that's just kudos to the writers because obviously the characters themselves can't literally come up with these crazy plans it has to be the script writers themselves was everyone fooled did like did anyone oh i was think- i was i was, I was completely uh, fooled I, I was fooled but then uh something <laughs> i got spoiled you could say indirectly <laughs> Apologies, that's to my fair, fault. I, I thought one, you finished yeah, all five I'm episodes. Who asked, who's Cynthia? And then, like, it's like, oh, well, isn't she in episode three? And I'm like, oh, God, I know who she is. <laughs> I thought Paula Dickens looked, you know, really striking, like, more than a one-off character. I mean, the the temporary characters also have, like, really striking designs, but maybe... I didn't just... think that... I didn't think that... Paula, the real Paula, would actually be like an old lady oh, <laughs> at the end great. of the show. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. She refers to her as like an older woman or something. or Like, like she calls him old, she calls her old hag throughout yeah, the series, I, I believe, and it's a running like, gag. In Japanese, she said like, obasan, you she know, did. not like grandma, but like quote unquote auntie. And I thought, well, like, that's interesting because Paula's pretty young and attractive. Did I mention mm. I love Cynthia? <laughs> um, <laughs> We know who Medi's going to follow for the rest of the series. Okay, so, so that but, episode ends, you know, they're leaving the island and the guys that were in the FBI and kind of like in on the whole thing. I don't know if you caught, they yell out like to Cynthia. It's like, you can call me dirty names next time. You can abuse me next time. Guy goes, me too. And I just, it's like, just nodding to the scene. Like, wow, 
<laughs> okay, but Cynthia is drop dead but, gorgeous. Like I would see her if she was real. I would see her and I would just feel ashamed about my existence. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way about Lohan too. Like both of them, it's just too much. I don't know if I could handle working under her. She'd be like, she kind of comes off like, was it Lori Blake from Watchmen, where she kind of like walks onto the scene, I'm ready to solve the crime, and you're like, oh, oh God, God, it's her. <laughs> <laughs> the best part is, that's, that was just her pretending to be. Yeah, no, that's... That's that <laughs> uh, I was just thinking of Supernatural, where the main characters are constantly posing as FBI agents every episode, and <laughs> nobody questions it. They got a badge. Okay, that, that is one of my <laughs> questions. Okay, so here's a question to you guys all. Uh, supposedly, this is taking place in modern day. So, with the age of the internet, like, would it, like, if they keep doing this, like, would it eventually, like, you know, people start catching on and stuff? I've been wondering well, that, actually. What I love, I'm really glad they kind of addressed that with uh, the Casano family looking up. And Amuda and being like, we can't find anything about him in Japan or anything. Like, oh, well, you know, I don't know. And then last minute, they got there to, you know, on the on the Japan side to be like, oh, yeah, he works here. He's great. <laughs> Let's dip. We know social media exists because even Edamura saying, oh, I don't use SNS. I don't use social media. They even looked up his, like, place where he works, which is which is nice because yep. it's like every character is acting smart. <laughs> like, oh, it's so refreshing. I love the show. That's true. Even, that's why, like, I like Kasano too because he's not just a dumb villain. He knows what he's doing. Usually. Like, he's he actually isn't just a dumb villain that's there to fall for the yeah. story. He, he tries He to, does his homework. To, you know, it's, covers it's five billion yeah, dollars. You. you gotta do your homework, you know. Five million dollars. <laughs> that's a lot of the appeal to the fun and the thrill ride of these these plans. Is that it's not like they're perfectly crafted and everything's perfectly playing into Lahal's hand. It's more like they end up with a perfect result, but the other side is so close to figuring them out and busting them. Like the entire time, they're just barely like staying afloat and like coming up with stupid you know bullshit ways to run away and get away with it and it keeps working till they're done i also think um part of the reason why this this goes very well with the adrenaline and like the ride is the music um because um oh, yeah. well first of all just the opening sequence with the jazz was just oh, beautiful it was absolutely so beautiful good. but but even like the soundtrack um, during the whole like you know whether it's chase sequence or you know whether something's funny happening or whether even if it's just like like introducing you to a new location like the soundtrack really just completely surrounds you in an atmosphere and so um, so I, I I absolutely think this whole production has been amazing because um, without a doubt like this series wouldn't have me as well um, invested if it wasn't for the fact that the soundtrack complements everything so well. And in that soundtrack, I mean, that opening sequence too, I mean, it captures the feeling of the show so much. I mean, it's like, I always love it when a show does like a non, like a no lyrics in their opening, where it's like, you got mm -hmm. Cowboy Bebop, you got mm -hmm. Michigan Hachin, you got Bakuno, which is one of my favorites, and then you have Great Pretender. And I think, I think the show is definitely going to be on that list 
of just oh, such a beautiful opening. Yeah, it's just for background too for the composer. It's uh, Yutaka Yamada-san. He also did the uh, music for uh, Finland Saga, Tokyo Ghoul, um, as well as Babylon. For those of you who watched that, uh, he did Babylon. So he also worked on Great Pretend and a lot of live-action shows. So he has a lot of experience with 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 music. Um, what I and also, the ending the sequence has me like chuckling the first time I watched it. It's basically a Freddie, uh, Freddie Mercury's um, <laughs> Great Pretender, but it's like cats. <laughs> it's just a bunch of cats, and one of the cat is yeah. very, very chubby. So, <laughs> I mean, that that's a, a very brief explanation. I gotta exposit about Freddie Mercury. I love this song, and Freddie Mercury's cover mm -hmm. of it. He didn't write it; it's not his original. Uh, yeah, most of the ending sequence, especially the beginning, is like a direct replica of his music video, mm -hmm. just with cats instead of him. And Freddie Mercury loved cats. That is no coincidence. But I, I do love how it also connects to Edamame's mom and like the cat pin. It's the exact same cat. She likes cats. Mm -hmm. Oh, shoot. I didn't realize that until you said Yeah, that cat oh, sleeping on the bed at the wow. end. It's like the exact That's... pin. I was like, oh. Which makes me wonder uh... about. Like that's, the silhouette of the woman and that's cool. the man who seem to be like embracing romantically. I don't know. That's I thought that was oh, like yeah. a boring or something with his like actually. major backstory or something. Mm. Maybe we'll find out more. I like. I thought maybe I. I didn't want to think that, but I thought maybe the man and the woman were actually his parents at first, which only made I, me I thought sad that because. Because it, you know, it just makes me think of the fact that they had this really good marriage, and the dad was doing something mm -hmm. awful in the background, yeah. and so, um, so I'd like to think that the couple is representing other people that are to come, maybe, and potentially even Edamame himself, because, um, you know, I I like happy endings, so <laughs> that's quite possible. I mean, connecting to the lyrics of the song obviously the great pretender is the title of the show and pretending mm -hmm. is like you know putting on a show being a con artist but it's also very much a heartbreak song you know like mm -hmm. what lyrics like what my heart can't conceal and pretending that you're still around and so that is kind of what made me think maybe it is supposed to be an mommy's parents you know the mother and father and all that i think the cat turns into the man which is, i think so yeah a weird a... dynamic to it but <laughs> Maybe we'll we'll get more later down the series. What emotional yeah, song. Like I just like that last part, it's like you think remember Freddie Mercury, or even just if you just go back and watch the live action of the music video, I mean the emotion from there and the emotion they've captured in this ending sequence, I mean, oh mm -hmm. The song it's has a sad great. origin, right? Um I'm not sure. Okay. I, I know I don't know about the original, and I know Freddie covered it very late in his career, shortly okay. before his, you know, untimely death. Mm -hmm. um, but I did want to mention there's a great PV for the show, too, that came out months before it actually hit Netflix. That's it, just a lyric video with clips of the anime rather than the ED sequence. Mm. It, it, that alone honestly really sold me on watching. It was already on my radar, but then I'm like, oh... It was called The Great Pretender for a reason, connected to that one song. I'm in. Yeah, and it's thematic, too. I mean, because 
I'm, I'm not as familiar with like the Freddie Mercury history of this song in particular, but like when I was looking at the video, because it kind of comes off like it's it's one of Freddie's like coming out songs where it's like kind of like being lonely, but also kind of wishing you were back um, mm. at that time. Hard to say. I mean, I could I could do a whole podcast talking about yeah, we can Freddie Mercury and Queen day. history. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, I I like the fact that they chose an English song because to really really hone in on the fact that this anime is very internationally taking place. So I do too. And it's so interesting that this song originally came out in the fifties, but they chose the Freddie Mercury cover from either very early nineties or late eighties. And granted, Freddie Mercury is of world fame, and Queen was especially popular in Japan. So I'm not too surprised, but mm-hmm. I appreciate it. The Freddie Mercury version came out in 87. Thank you. 1987. I just let him beat me You're at welcome. Queen Trivia, and I am shamed. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, I, lo- I looked it up, and I don't I think I'm, I'm not a, I am not a, I'm not a big, I'm not a good fan like him. The only reason I knew about him was because of Bohemian Rhapsody, but I'll leave it at that. Uh, but major props to the anime team, right, to license this show officially yeah. for the anime. Like, that yeah. is a big feat. Uh We've had it happen with JoJo's ending, yep. where they use ending uh, ending theme songs. Uh, their ending theme songs are English songs, but are by bands that you don't really know. They're not well-known bands. Versus well, here, this is a high-profile artist. Well, <laughs> they kind of are, but not, but not the level of Freddie Mercury is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. It's up sure. there. Uh, and often they pick more niche songs, which I appreciate. But Thank you. I would be more niche there. I think that's uh, what I want to say. They are popular, but I think it's niche versus Great Pretender. Well, and that's actually the that thing. Is the Great Pretender, in my opinion, is more of a niche song, and it's a Freddie Mercury solo, not a Queen song. Mm, but that true. might have made it easier for licensing as well. If you look, it's you know like Mercury Records or something like that. You know, it's not the band. That would have been a harder hoop to jump through. Right. Yep. It's owned by Mercury Records. I looked into it because I'm really curious to see how mm. they did that. As you're watching it, um, the the music in the LA part was very nice. Like we had some rap music. Nice. Yeah. Some there's a single track different... that I hear every time. It's I there's that track has a name because I think they credit it as an insert song in the credits. Oh, they did. I, that Maybe I don't know. So. I gotta look into it. I'll look into it, but I, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with the music and the other places that they'll visit later down the line, too. Because it just, I don't want to say it screamed American, but just having a rappy style music as they're going to the cider factory, I was yeah. like, this is this is good. I feel like I'm in L.A. right now. <laughs> they really nailed it, and I also hope the sound design like, it, you know, matches the, the settings to come. And, like, I know we talked a lot about the OP. Did we mention how it actually plays in scenes in the anime a lot? And it works really well because it's instrumental and just so lively. Mm -hmm. And like, sometimes that can be seen as like lazy or repetitive. And yet I just love it every time it works so well. The jazz part, I think is it's, uh, there's a term. I know we talked about it. Uh, in the past but when you hear that like ah this is great pretender they did a very mm. good job in highlighting the jazz like, part yeah 
Yeah, it's definitely iconic. Too bad we can't call it the sex isekai saxophone like we have with Gun <laughs> Pankin, but I don't know what to call it with this. Like, we need to come up with the name eventually. It, it uh. definitely falls in that niche that, like, Bacano and Cabo Bebop founded, like Nick was saying. I, I was literally just going to call it Bacano, which is just short uh, for noise or chaos, because that's kind of the same vibe I get from the soundtrack. <laughs> that's jazz. We're just going to call Bacano. That's jazz. Uh, speaking of uh, now, May, all the locations, though. As you're... Hello. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Read my Continue. <laughs> Maybe. I did. <laughs> so, I think we've all watched the sub here. I've heard great things about the dub and seen, like, various little clips. And I am curious if anyone listening or present on the podcast, like, has thoughts on, you know, the voice work in different languages. I, it's I did. I did. Me, 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 me. <laughs> Hello. Yes, you. Hello, Gracie. Um, Enlighten us. So I actually, I went a little crazy because I don't know. I don't have lives, guys. Like, lives. I don't have a life <laughs> to be born. <wondering. laughs> um, I definitely don't cat. have lives. <laughs> I don't have a life. So I had the brilliant idea at one point where I was like, you know, now that this is like taking over, like taking place all over the country, like I should change the language to match the location (laughs) every single time. (laughs) And so I watched Japanese at the beginning and then I changed it to English when they got to LA. And then um, I saw on Twitter, someone was like, oh, if you change it to Italian, you can really immerse yourself in the mafia world. I was like, yes. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so I changed it to Italian for Casado, which, you know, thank you, Twitter person who wrote that. And I saw it. I don't remember your username, but it worked. And so, and then I changed it back into English for Singapore. And I know uh, France is coming up, so I'm totally watching it in French. <laughs> but it's actually, it's really, really fun. And the the voice, I'm granted, I'm not a good judge for Italian voice acting per se, since, you know, I don't understand the language. I definitely don't hear it often enough. But um, it is really fun. And definitely, like, from what I hear, they do not detract from... Because sometimes certain voices or, like, certain people that get cast for certain characters, I feel like it's just a mismatch because they, um, their tone, their voice tone just doesn't match with the character's personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, like, to no fault for the voice actor. I just, I just really, th- I just think that they happen to be miscast in a situation. I think and you so, often Because get... they could be excellent in another character for sure. So... Um, but def- but I don't think any of these voice actors, Italian or otherwise, are um, miscast. I think they do a really, really good job. And I definitely feel a lot more involved or at least a lot more fun. Kind of like the whole atmosphere whenever I switch it back and forth. Um, yeah, guys, I have no life. So. <laughs> it's pretty wild. But I-, I think Netflix does give you the option just in the player to keep changing the audio and subtitle track yes 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 it's so nice and so the minute it gets to Cassano's uh mansion i always like pause it and (laughs) do italian (laughs) that is dedication but that's that's the beauty of the great pretender being on netflix that you can actually do these language localizations because there are tons of other anime shows out there that are taking place in international areas 
but it takes so long for specific regional dubs to just come out and fully immerse yourself into it or even if you have to release no go ahead i was just saying like there's always that challenge where if you don't speak english where it's like the subtitles are also a huge limiting factor as well Mm, yeah yeah true uh, and Netflix is really good about just covering so many languages on audio and subtitles, even if we have to wait for it compared to simulcasts and let alone uh, simul dubs are a whole different story I'm not going to tackle today. <laughs> but I, I remember seeing some whisperings about like, ah, just keep switching the dub based on the location, which I thought was really funny. You know, I know you've actually been doing that. It's just, it sounded fun, and I, I was like, I might as well go for it. And also, because Junichi Suave is obviously the sexiest him. man voice out there. And so <laughs> I'm like, what is the English sexy voice is going to sound like? It was very sexy, FYI. So. <laughs> it is really, yeah. I've heard it. It's it's good. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, are there... Confession? Um, certain... Yes, I did. I watched it in English. Oh. Oh. Um... Because I was cooking and I needed to finish nice. it. Oh, so I see. Uh, I turned on English and it's well done. Yeah. I'll have to echo what what Gracie said. It, they did a very good job with dubbing it, and in this case, I didn't mind waiting for it. Um, and in a way, we didn't wait that long. No, too. we didn't wait that Even long. Even Japan, at all they this released time. it staggered as well. The first maybe what like two months? Mm, yeah, maybe? it came out June in on Netflix. A month and a and half. And we got it August. Maybe? Yep, we got it August twentieth than half so but even in japan in japan uh, netflix japan they released it by mm-hmm. case so you had to come back the next week to watch the next five episodes they only released the first five episodes when it came out uh, and for us right now we have up until um singapore i believe we just finished mm-hmm. singapore no they they, they went they to have, too, um, so we're waiting they, for they went um, to europe i know japan. yes they did went to europe so uh but I would agree with Nef- uh, with not Netflix, sorry, with Gracie. <laughs> Definitely do check it out in a different dubs. They did Netflix, a very good guys. job. I hope you are all <laughs> <laughs> honored to have me here. She was just in disguise the whole time. <laughs> She's been here this whole time. Um, but yes, Hello? having watched Los Angeles in, in partly in English, really well done. Uh, I didn't do the Italian one. I might check <laughs> it out. Not even way. Italy. Why would they be speaking Italian in LA, even if they're mobsters? I'm sorry, but I don't follow that. Well, <laughs> I don't know either. Maddie, don't cut into the fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so all these full dubs aside, I love that even just in the original Japanese audio, they went through the yes. effort to have them speaking English in Japan, and then, like, actually, yeah, Lohan never spoke Japanese, but Enamame speaking English and Lohan making fun of his English accent, and. Then they're just so, like, it's almost like a fourth wall break where they just flash the thing on the screen and say, like, yeah, we're just going to translate everything now. <laughs> and they switch back to the normal voice actors. And the best part is they did it while being stuck in LA traffic on what I probably believe is Interstate 405, mm-hmm. which is the most congested freeway in all of the United States. I just think that's just a hilarious part also, that they did right Lohan there. Also, says a line in French to the guards of the Casano Mansion, and that's great. Like, it just sounds fluent and really good to me. I don't think it's Junichi Suave. I highly doubt it. But I, I have to wonder, with, like, these lines intentionally in other languages, how do they keep them or change them in the different dubs? There's so much research to be done. 
They just change it to lot. like English or something. Maybe I don't know. They got like <laughs> <laughs> the one, the one, like whatever sounds foreign. Well, no, because Laurent is like canonically French, and they yeah. comment on that. So, well, how else would he be as hot as he is? You know. <laughs> oh my gosh! Is Cynthia French? I don't think she is. Mm-mm, I don't think she is. No, I don't no, think so. She came from a different area in Europe. To pursue uh, so Europeans are hot. Out. That's what we're getting at. Yeah. When you hit her art, yes. it explains more about her background, but I believe she's European. I look forward to it. Descent. Very yeah. cool. And with that in mind, uh, any closing comments about The Great Pretender? Uh, we only covered the first episodes because there's just so much to unpack, and we're really excited to see where this goes. Some of us have already gone far ahead. Um, Singapore is next, then we got France and London, and then the next arc hasn't been released yet, actually. It has not been released yet, which is the Far East is coming out soon. But any final comments about just Great Pretender that you just wanted to let everyone know? I really hope more people watch it because I know um, there wasn't a lot of fanfare when it was released. And, which, and I think it totally deserves all the fanfare in the world just because the writing is so on point and... Um, well, I love writing and like, I like to read and I like to write. And so writing is always a really important element for me personally. So, um, and it's just, it's just blowing me away with the dialogue and like the, the, um, the setup of the scenes and everything, which is all essentially contributing to, um, the writing as a whole. And so, um, I just hope that more people watch it and more people enjoy it. I I think the whole package all in all. Everything about the presentation, the visuals, the music, the writing, like you said, the characters, I just have me really captivated. I, I, I mean, I've only watched the first five episodes, but I think it's a strong contender for one of the best anime this year or just that I've seen recently in general. Like, don't sleep on this, especially if you've listened to this entire podcast up until now. I assume <laughs> you've already watched some of it. Keep watching. Yeah, I'm really excited to watch more. Um, I basically just got through the California arc, and I think they did a really good job at capturing um, just the feeling of just the whole area, um, just growing up in Southern California. Can't wait to see more of Singapore. Can't wait to see other parts in the world. Um, and yeah, really excited. We need it. We're stuck yeah. in the <laughs> <laughs> it, it gives you that sense feeling that you're on vacation when you're really not. Like how yep. they do it on Zoom. Yeah. Oh, it really does. That's why that it's title It's fascinating. Card, Agnes. Yeah. Those postcards work, yeah. Yep. Uh, Any final comments, Definitely Agnes? recommend Watch Great Pretender for the entire story and the characters because it's a very refreshing take on kind of like the mystery genre and siding with people whom you don't wouldn't normally root for. Which I think is an interesting point. In oh, like, it's like root for the hot yeah. villains. I yeah. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> it's more like who usually roots for a con man. Most of the time, con men in anime, with the exception of maybe Lupin, yeah, are portrayed as very villainous. They're not. They're very seedy. They're untrustworthy. But here, you kind of see that they are kind of human. That they're not just all the smiles mm-hmm. and pleasantries. So it's very nice to watch. Yeah, this thing of vigilante, like, justice-seeking con men is so fascinating, but 
even as hard to believe as that premise is, they're just so fun and endearing. They're also one. They're and... also like one bad day away from turning on each other too, which is which kind of creates that yeah. tension. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think they are the epitome of uh, chaotic good. It's mm. I, they are villains in so many ways. They do not follow laws. They do bad things, but their heart's in the right place. <laughs> And with that in mind, do check out Great Pretender. Uh, following what Medi said, uh, I also enjoyed it a lot too as well. And I cannot wait to see more. I decided to sneak ahead of episode 6. And it just really just... Episode 6 does a good job with reinforcing what you saw the last five episodes. And giving you the premise, this is the ride. I hope you're ready for it. And yeah, con artists doing con things. But are they righteous? Are they vigilantes? That's up for you to decide. And with that, uh, this wraps up our podcast here, uh, Anime Training Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to us uh, for our Great Pretender. We will see you next week, in which we are going to dive into, I believe, dun, 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 uh, the Decade Awards. Yes, the 7th anniversary for Anime Training is coming up. Do look forward to that. Polls for the Decade Awards have been closed now, so if you missed a chance to vote, my apologies, but we will be announcing the winner for which anime, which boy, which girl, and which couple is the decade, um, I guess, of their respective categories, the winner of this, you know, 2010 decade. With that in mind, uh, I'm Noobles with... Oh, am I going first? Okay. But it's because of the yes. pipes again. Yeah, um... <laughs> yeah the pipes. I, I, it, I, no, I hate it. <laughs> it's Gracie, a.k.a. Pipe. <laughs> I, I, I'm Pipe. I'm, I'm Nico. <laughs> I'm not Pipe. I'm Pipe number three. <laughs> Agnes. <laughs> And I am not pipe. Uh, thank you so much for joining with us. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 Thank you.